Everybody, welcome to the Hunter's Quest podcast. I'm back with the one and only Eric Chesser for the second time. What's up, dude? What's up, man? You went straight into it. You're like, what's up? Hit record, and <laughs> you got your pitch already. Yeah, you I mean, this now. yeah. If you, I feel like a lot of times I'll do like small talk before I hit record, and then I'll be like, dang it, I wish I had that. So I just yeah. start rolling. I love it. Yeah, man. So what have you been up to, man? Uh, I think I saw you last summer at, or no, I saw you at the expo for a little bit, but you know, you're super mm-hmm. busy signing autographs, kissing babies and stuff. And <laughs> so Dude, I didn't get a chance expo, to talk. So what's up? That expo is gnarly. Like each and every year we try to think of a different idea of what we can do to keep the flow of traffic coming through who people who want to get pictures, or maybe we should just do certain times. And at the end of the day, me and my partner's always like, People come here to meet us. We're going to stand in that booth and meet as many people as we possibly can. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I remember you coming over and I just, I'm so zoned out at the expo that I can't even focus. Dude, it's Everything's tough. a blur. It's, it's tough. Even for me, I can't imagine with like, you know, lines of people wanting to talk to you, man. Like, yeah, there's just so much going on and like all that artificial light for hours and you're standing all day and it's just crazy, like sensory overload. Yeah, it's pretty pretty wild it's uh for those who haven't been it's called the western hunting expo it's here in salt lake so this is right in my hometown it's right in our backyard mm-hmm. you know we have a huge following here out west but uh, we're already planning next year's hunt expo we're already having meetings with uh ray over there and getting that all lined up but yeah for me man like it's summertime um we're recording this what july 6th seven 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 Man, when we started filming all these hunts and stuff, it used to be like your fall hunting season. I had a break and then I'd go shed hunting and then I'd have summer break. But somehow this has just become all season. I've been home for like two weeks and I'm already like getting cabin fever. Like, I got to get out of here. I got to go somewhere. (laughs) So um, I know you've been doing a lot of shed hunting. Is that where you just came off the road from? So the the most recent trip, well, I kind of had two back-to-back trips and both of these are like dream trips for me. The first one being um, go to Alaska to hunt moose sheds. That's awesome. So I did that with my good buddy, Nathan from all in, and then came home for a day and a half, just enough time to break down and repack. And I went out to uh, Molokai, Hawaii oh, to hunt axis deer with the boat. And that was, that was a blast. I love it out there. Ah, uh, dude. Yeah. I just, um, yeah, I was just watching a video the other day. That's a hunt I definitely want to do. It's on my list, man. Do you have some buddies out there? or? Um, not on that island. I got some buddies on Maui. Um, I you know, made some friends out there while I was out there. But, yeah, I mean, if anybody can get a chance to go to Hawaii, it's just it's amazing bow hunting practice. Yeah, Like, obviously, you're out there bow hunting. And it's just great in the field practice through the summer months. So you just can't get anywhere else. And you can, 
everybody's different, but, uh, there's, there's not necessarily like a bag limit or tag limit on the deer because they're considered invasive. Mm-hmm. Um, so depending on the lease or the, the land that you get access to, they'll kind of regulate how many animals they want you to take or whatnot. But for the most part, you're going to be able, you're going to have opportunity to shoot at more deer than you ever would be able to, yeah. you know, here in the, here in the other States. Now, were you on like, were you like were you using an outfitter or something that like normal guys like me could get a hold of or do you have a connection? Uh, it's pretty tight there, man. The thing I've noticed when I start getting invited to certain things is, is people, you know, I always thought like, oh, people would want promotion. They'd want like, you know, maybe trade a hunt for promotion. But between like, we'll just mention the last two, Alaska and Molokai people are hitting me up and literally both people have been like, Hey man, just keep it tight lift. You know, we, we're, we're full, we're booked. We don't really need exposure. Gotcha. So I'm trying to even get myself like a week in some of these places because they're so booked up. Wow. It is hard. You know, there's obviously people on the different islands that you can probably reach out to and line up a hunt. Um, they're pretty expensive, but yeah, to kind of get like your own week, it's, uh, you know, like you're Not trying easy. to navigate through the network without burning bridges and stuff. And, you know, for example, like I don't even have myself access to where I went. Um, and that's honestly more out of respect out of the group that put it together for me and invited me. I don't want to just like backdoor them. For and sure. you guys could probably relate to that. Those who hunt the states that are a lot of private land, that's just kind of how mm. I think the uh, silent code is, right? Where if someone invites you, you shouldn't, oh, yeah. you shouldn't respect the connections and respect the network because these things have been built over years for sure. And it'd be kind of a dick move to try to backdoor people. So I always, I mean, I had to learn that the hard way. I didn't know about that. I was like, well, I just figured, you know, I can call and work with this guy and everyone's cool. But over the years of uh, traveling and stuff, it's kind of been a learning experience. Just respect the network, you know, yeah. ask for <laughs> Absolutely. No, that um I was talking to a friend of mine who's also a create a content creator that um they hunted that same island and they were kinda like, Yeah, um, you know, we, we had some friends kind of deal and he's like, I think there's some public land, but like he's like I've heard a lot of stories of guys going to that specific place and like getting beat up and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like apparently the, the locals there aren't too uh keen on outsiders coming to hunt there so um but yeah. i don't know maybe i'll uh shoot that out a couple years and uh maybe just start working on that or something but that's something that i do want to do um and speaking of which that whole concept of tight-lipped and it's crazy because you know it, it feel like it used to be like you're saying like you know outfitters wanted exposure they want and now it's like the demand is higher and um I don't know if it's ever since COVID or what, but it's tough to, to especially on some of these kind of bucket list type hunts like that. Um, and so the, the reason I mentioned that is because um, I got a trip this August um, to go hunt caribou in Alaska, and I had to do some like finagling to even get that. <laughs> and actually, it's the folks that I I believe. Did you go on that trip? The uh, the river trip. I went last year up the up the river. Yeah, okay, the, yeah. the transporters take you up the river, drop you off. Yes. So I want to talk about that specifically. I, we won't. I guess we won't mention the name of the guys or whatever. But um, hmm. 
but yeah, so I called him and like, yeah, man, we're booked like two years out. And I was like, listen, dude, yeah. I know kind of what I'm doing a little bit. I don't need a camp. Just take us up on an off day and then I'll float out myself. And he's like, hmm, let me talk to my partner. And then he got, he's like, yeah, we can do it. <laughs> yeah. So you got to like kind of yeah. work it a little bit. You really do. Um, some of these things you just assume that these people would either need or want the business. And sometimes that is the case. Don't get me yeah. wrong. There's, we've worked with people that, you know, they'll maybe even trade a little exposure for a cheaper price or whatever. But man, a lot of these things that are in high demand, they're just like, yeah, dude, like, don't tell anybody we like you. You're easy to work with, mm -hmm. you know, you're just in and out. We don't want to deal with a bunch of people. I don't want to answer DMS and emails all day. Yeah. And like I these mean, air transporters and stuff up there in Alaska too, man. It's like, you got to like know somebody even to get, it's not like you can just call them book a hunt anymore. It's like, you gotta like, exactly. you gotta have history with these people. Exactly. Yep. The, uh, the place I went to Alaska, I mean, I was like trying to keep this place tight lipped for my own <laughs> self. Right. Cause you're stabbing yourself in the foot. If you start to promote it too much. Yeah. And I've learned that over the years, even just hunting public land out here out West. I mean, I'm trying to like not show the backgrounds all the times where I right. shed hunt or not. It's bound to happen and people catch on eventually. But yeah, like I remember in Alaska, it was like, Hey man, you know, this is, this has been fun this time of the year. I'm, I'm really just busy transporting fishermen anyways, but you guys are easy to work with. You're passionate about it. I'd take you out again, but don't, don't tell nobody, you yeah, know, for sure. <laughs> Cause yeah, that could blow up. But I mean, there's probably not a whole lot of guys. Cause I saw it on your story that you're going up there to shed hunt. And I was like, dang, that's the next level. Like not many people will go to Alaska to shed hunt. That's pretty dope. <laughs> yeah. That was a bucket list item for me, man. Like I would rather have, if you said you can hunt a moose or shed hunt for moose for five days, I would have picked shed hunt oh, wow. over hunting them. Um, I just love the dang things. And I love the, the idea that you can, it's unlimited opportunity. You can get yeah. as many as you can find. And the harder you work, the more you could probably get, but yeah, that was a super fun trip. Very fortunate enough to put it together with a good friend and make it happen like very quickly. Did you find like, some freshies? Yeah, had we not like booked it then, it would have been mosquitoes, it would have been all the brush would have been leafed out. So we really timed it just right and got in in a window again when the ice had just barely come off, the planes had just barely come out from being winterized, all the ski planes. Yeah. And it just worked perfect. So yeah, super lucky to make that happen. You're not gonna turn those into dog chews, are you? I've one of them. I did. I gave my dog one. I was curious. <laughs> I was curious if she'd like it, dude. Moose antlers are so different. At least the ones yeah. in Alaska. Iris moose here in Utah. They're heavy. They're dense. They're hard as a rock. Those antlers up there. I don't know if it's because they're just in the humidity. They're around water all the time. They're more mm -hmm. soft. Hmm. Like if an elk breaks its antler fighting, I mean that thing is shattered off. Like sharp edges but these yeah. moose antlers would be like doled out hmm. almost more like a horn in a way it's very hard to describe but their points would be pushed and like bubbled in like almost like a carbon arrow right like little spines and little hmm. fragments that look like antler but very different than an elk so my dog chewed right through the dang thing oh interesting um, yeah, man, that's, uh, so my first ever trip to Alaska, which is actually my first ever like Western hunt, crazily enough, 
Um, <laughs> you know, we didn't fill a tag, but I found it's actually in this logo right here. This is the actual shed. I forgot it over there, a caribou cool. shed. And um, that was the only thing I came back from the hunt with, other than just like a life changing experience. But um, yeah, we we uh, went to I think Walmart after and just bought some boxes, and then like uh, I think we ch- I can't yeah we we just checked them on the airplane. So what, did you ship yours back or did you check them on the airplane or what? Yeah, so we had twenty three that we shipped back. It was kind of a nightmare. At the place, we put it on one pallet and shrink wrapped it and boxed it. That pallet would have made it perfect to Salt Lake had they allowed like pallets, which we figured they would is car air, air cargo. Yeah. But when they get there to ship, they're like, Hey, let's just, we would rather break it down to small boxes because once it gets to Seattle, then it's going to move through like a different carrier. Mm-hmm. Long story short, one of those boxes they had packaged like broke open. So when I picked up the boxes, I was told, Hey, we shipped four. So I got to air cargo and was like, I'm here to pick up the orders. And there was some confusion. They had not called me that they'd been in Salt Lake and supposedly there was a $70 daily storage fee. I'm like, listen, nobody called me that these were here. Yeah. I'm calling you. They're like, yeah, we'll waive those fees. But the lady was confused. She's like, well, I think it's because the fifth box hasn't showed up yet. I'm like texting the guys, is there four or five? Four. I'm like, there's four. So I take four and uh, we're missing seven paddles and a pair of waiting boots. Long story short, they ended up, uh, they were, you know, either misplaced or lost in Anchorage and a week later made it back. So we got 23 home. Nice, dude. <laughs> and they're big, dude. They take up a lot of space in my shop. They're just sitting on the floor right now and I'm like, man, I just had this place clean and now I have a giant pile of moose antlers. <laughs> yeah, man. I've seen some pictures of your garage. I hope to see it in person one day because that looks nuts. But uh, did you have some uh, some big legal, like, you know, four brow tine bulls and stuff? Um, You know, I don't understand exactly how Alaska works from what I do. From what I have heard, there's certain units are like, hey, 50 or less or certain yeah. points on brow. This area, if I remember correctly, didn't have like regulation like that, but we found three antlers that I would say are like big bulls. Um, nice. The one my buddy found had a five, five on the raker. One of them had been broke off and then just a beautiful wide paddle. And that, that weighed 22 pounds, oh my gosh. which they get, they get much bigger than that. Like, but these are nice bulls. Like that one's probably over 60 wide on the outside. I found one that was right there up in 22 it was one that was more like palm to palm like it, there wasn't a big gap between his raker and his palm uh-huh. so he connected so it was just like a giant dish you know and he's oh, very cool. spooned out so yeah we found some really cool keepers and then a lot in that like medium category that are just yeah. at least for me are still giant compared yeah. to what we have here for shiris moose but wouldn't be nothing that i think most people would go to Alaska to shoot, but they're still, oh, yeah. you know, 15, 15, 16, 17 pounds a piece. Yeah. Yeah. Like that caribou shed I have is like, it's like, it's a decent bull, but it's not like massive, but you hold the thing. It's like, geez, it's crazy, man. It's just like Alaska is just next level. So hopefully Lord willing, I'll be <laughs> grabbing one of those, uh, in a couple months here. So on that note, um, I haven't talked to anybody who's done that hunt. I've watched y'all's videos of it and mm-hmm. like Weatherby has one too. Um, but yeah, tell me about that hunt a little bit, man, what to expect and just what was it like. 
Yeah, going up to Alaska the first time, like I had no clue what to expect. And I'm oh, really, that was really, your first time up there? That was my first trip okay. last season. And we went in that early August time frame. And, you know, from what I've heard, because uh, my partners, Casey and Brian, had been the year before with Weatherby. And so, you know, from the from what I heard, it was like you can either see like 10,000 of them or zero or whatever, depending on the migration. So I had no clue what to think. Um, so we got up to Alaska and that's, there's a lot of logistics, you know, and again, it was so handy to have like Casey and Brian had done it. So they knew about the gear that you, they recommend, you know, from A to Z, you know, and that's what you're really stressing about is like, what do I need? You know? Right. And I had heard about the tussocks and the tundra and how spongy it is and weird it is to walk on. But man, when I got out of there, that was a shock. <laughs> but like I loved it for the scenery. It's just giant country, endless, wide open. Where we went, I'm talking like there's not even a tree. Yeah. It's wide open and you could see the caribou. If you got high in glass, like if they're there, you're gonna see them. They don't, you know, where we were, it's not like they were gonna be bedded behind some trees or anything like that. Right. So it was very cool. Um but it, it was a weird hunt, man. Like I always feel like my physical, just my condition gives me an edge. And now there, I didn't feel like it did at all. Hmm. Cause anytime I'd walk any further, I just ran into more hunters. You know, if I was like, Oh, I'm going this way. It's like, well, there's another camp. Oh dude, I'm going to muscle up that over that Ridge. And well, there's just another camp. So it, it was pretty crowded along the river. Cause you got to think that's where everybody is getting dropped off. Yeah. And at times I would get high and I'd be like, well, I could see for as far as my eyes can see, there's not a caribou. So like, I'm not incentive. I didn't feel incentivized to like walk any further. Right. Cause I'm like, well, there's no caribou. Right. We, we just weren't in a man. Like we kind of had a bit of a bummer trip when we showed up to get up the river, their new boat was sunk in the river. <laughs> their backup boat was broke down. Oh no. Fortunately for us, four tags in one camp, we lost three days and we lost the best weather of the whole trip. Mm. Clear, just great visibility. And then a lot of the days of our hunt was low visibility, like sit in your tent. So it's hit and miss, man. Like yeah. the conditions are going to be a huge factor, right? Like if it fog rolls in, can't see, can't even right. see across the river. So it's like, what are you going to do? Can't really like walk out of it. You know what I mean? No. I, I, I need redemption on that hunt. I didn't have the greatest experience. Yeah. It was just, it was just kind of a, a couple things just had my mind checked out. One, the, you know, losing three days being stuck on a sandbar and literally we at the river where we were parked, tons of caribou, but we only had guns. Now, had we had a bow, we could have hunted within five miles of that hall road. Oh. So we're just like, it's like torture, like all these caribou. And I felt like we just went up the river and left them all. Oh, <laughs> you man. know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like the migration is going to be huge, whether you're in them or not. It's like, you're going to hear the vibes when you get there that all the locals and who's doing it is like, Oh, the migration's early. Oh, the migration's late or whatever it is. I mean, we only saw, we killed three out of four bulls. I was the only one who didn't kill. 
two of them are respectable bulls. Um, and those are the only two that we saw that were good. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, I need redemption on that hunt. Yeah. I need to go back and, you know, now that I've figured out kind of what you need and what it's like, I'd go back with a little different expectations. Yeah. But we saw a bear, we saw a wolf. Um, I was going to ask about that because I got a wolf tag. Yeah. The, the scenery, the scenery alone is just blows your mind. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, Alaska is like that. You know, you definitely like, I would say count on spending at least like two days in your tent. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, the first time I went, we spent, I think like close to 36 hours basically in our, you know, and we we're just like in one man ultralight tents. Um, so that is, that is pretty crazy. Um, is there, was the, was the ground, was the tundra floor like wet, like soggy? Mm -hmm. It was. It blew my mind because we were just out of the river and then you'd see a hill. You're like, well, from here to there, it's probably going to be kind of mushy. But once I get on the hill, it'll be better. And the weirdest thing was even on a slope, freaking mud, mush, like wow. small, like creeks that you can just step in. And even on the flat stuff, you're like, oh, I got a, I got a clear lane to this. And before you know it, you're like, boom, six feet of water. Like, how do I navigate around this? So it was very, you just couldn't read it. You just had to, the only way to get around was just to go for it. And then once you got an obstacle change route, I mean, obviously once you get up a little higher up the hill, you kind of like get to harder ground. Yeah. But I remember just thinking like, Oh, the slope will be good. But sometimes the slopes have like little benches and stuff. And those benches will hold a lot of water. And then an interesting thing is we came across like a mudslide and that's when we got to see the permafrost for the first time. And sure enough, about 12 to 18 inches underneath the tundra, solid ice. Wow. Like, like solid ice. And like we jumped frozen down. frozen mud or like clear ice? Clear, more. I mean, the edges of it were kind of muddy as like, you know, the mud would come on it. But if you yeah. wiped it off, it was like solid ice. Wow. And when we jumped kind of down in this little hole it was like floating, like you jump on something and be like, woo, like a waterbed. Like you're floating oh. on this land. That's like floating on the, the water that's above the ice, you know? So above the ice and to the top of the surface can be hold so much water. And that's why is the bottom has permafrost. So as you're walking, like I said, it's unpredictable because you would think up here anywhere out West or anywhere with normal ground. Well, if that's a slope, water runs off it. And it's going to be dry and hard, but up there you got, you know, so much space between the ice and the tundra, like it's a sponge. Hmm. So that thing is some, even on a hill, you could sink in and just, you'll see, you know, water up to your knee, water up to your ankles, uh, wow. very often that doesn't look like it should. Yeah. And your brain goes, well, why doesn't it just absorb into the ground? Well, there's ice. Right. Big layer so of what kind of like. Like, how did it work with, like, your shelters and your sleeping situation if the ground is, like, wet like that? Um, you need a cot. Okay. The cot's the best way. Um, we rented tents and cots for that trip just to minimize, you know, what we had to fly around with. Right. And when I went on the shed trip, the tundra and terrain was a little different, but it's just, it's so uneven that you need, like, a cot. And they're very low cots. You know, they're yeah. not your typical 
18 inch style that you'd have around here. It's kind of like a backpacking uh, cot, like the light ones. Yeah. Okay. That's what I got. That's good. <laughs> yeah. That's what you need. That'll, that'll give you at least somewhat of a flat service to sleep. <laughs> nice man. Um, did you see any ptarmigan out there while you're out there? Um, I think on the shed trip, we saw a bunch. Yeah. But not on the river trip. I don't think so. Okay. Was the but river we, pretty uh, chill as far as like water flow and all that? Yeah. Like the other guys crossed it to go after and, and hunt one of those big bulls that we got. Okay. I mean, they had to navigate through it, you know, to try to find the safest place, but there's, there's spots within the river, at least at that year with that water level or whatever that they can get across. Okay. Yeah. I'm just wondering about floating out. Like, I uh, hope it's not like, I don't know. <laughs> I hope it's pretty like chill. Just the kids getting across like a rock bar or something. Yeah. I just I like, I, I crossed a river this year and uh, on my bear trip and I like underestimated the current and like, it just pushed me way down and like, I almost went in and it was scary. So I'm like, just not trying to deal with like rapids right now. <laughs> yeah. It, nothing looked too crazy. And it always seemed like, it always seemed like the airboat had options. Like, go this way, go that way, like pretty wide yeah. river and a lot of little shoots. But man, I remember thinking like, how does one remember all the turns, you know? And for those guys that do it all day, every day, they know the river system really well. But sometimes I think like in a smaller boat, you could easily drift off on like a side thing and kind of get off path. You know what I mean? Oh, so oh. just stick to the main, the main drag, the main current, and you should be fine. Cool. Well, I'm doing a podcast with um, one of the owners, um, Jeremy. So um, hopefully that'll I can ask him more stuff and clear up stuff. Um, but I did want to just ask somebody else who's been on the hunt, you know. Um, and uh, I mean, sounds like it was a kind of a rough hunt, but you guys still killed three caribou. So I mean, you know, that's pretty good. Yeah. And again, like the idea of like, oh, I'm going to go so far, which is my attitude out here. Yeah. You could have killed him from camp, like just glass from camp. You know what I mean? All day. And again, like it doesn't get dark. So you could be sitting at camp and just, it was almost more of a way for them to come through here than it was to go pursue them. Mm. So the, the two we killed right out of camp, like saw it across the river, shot it. Another one was in the river bed like crossing with some other bulls, Matt shot that one. I'd say the the one that Casey got was somewhat of a like, hey, let's leave camp and like get the, you know, go find one. And he got that one, but it wasn't very far from camp. Like staying at camp would have been just as good as like hiking all over like I tried. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, You saw, you said you saw one wolf, just one. Was it far we off? We saw, well, it was pretty gnarly because we were going up the river and this caribou was kind of in the river like struggling and then so all of us were kind of like looking at this caribou and i'm looking up river and i see this thing jump in the river and start swimming across I was like is that a wolf dude this big old freaking pretty wolf came out of the river and logan got some awesome footage of it with the really nice camera in slow motion this wolf comes out of the river and it's on the rocky bed and as we're like going by it like this through the window, he's just shaking, you know, doing that. Oh, yeah. But look, gives us this look like, what are you going to do about it? You know, like, <laughs> so Casey had a tag 
um, you can't like shoot from a boat or anything. So we tried to pull over and, and do that. But by that time he was gone. Yeah. But now we had this caribou that was wounded and he was bedded on like a rock bar, a sandbar, whatever you call them kind of in as the river breaks and stuff, there was this dry patch and he bedded. And after the boat left, all of us were like, we should, we should watch him because that wolf will probably be back. Sure enough, that wolf came back and he was like 700 something yards away. And he was just, he never did go pursue the caribou again. I'm sure he did later in the night. I I would just imagine maybe he went back to finish him because the caribou, he wasn't going to make it, you know, but we got some video of that wolf through the scope. That was the only wolf we ever did see. Okay. Yeah, I need to go back and watch that hunt again because I think I saw it, but it was a long time ago. Or no, that's a pretty new, maybe, but okay, you weren't there, but your crew has been out there before a long time ago, right? Two years ago, yep. Uh, I think that's a video I saw, and I haven't seen the one you were on yet. Yeah, go to this last year. It's called Barren Ground. Um, It's kind of the first uploads of our last fall season. Okay. And there's two parts. And I mean, again, it's super cool. Like the video shot so well between Logan and Matt and, and uh, just, I think it shows exactly like what that experience was like. Yeah. I'll definitely check it out, man. Um, last question on Alaska. Then I want to move on to elk, but is there anything that you didn't bring that if you were to do it again, you're like, I definitely would bring that gear wise. Um, I, on, these two trips are different. My last trip, the first trip I went was so muddy. I'm like, I just wish I would have just had chest waders and wading boots. So that's what I did on my second trip, the shed hunting one. And then on that one, I was like, I wish I would have just had tall hiking boots with gaiters. So where we went for caribou, we, your boots are just going to be soaked, man. Like I would, I would have like good, I would have good uh, waist high waders. Chest high are kind of annoying. They go over and it's just, it's too much, but they, I've seen them where they just sell them as pants. Yeah. Now I'd find a really good outsole wading boot that you could still do. Like I was doing 15 miles in waders and wading boots on my shed trip. And it was nice because if I did come to a wet tundra, I just pushed through it where my friend had hiking boots and he kind of had to navigate around. Right. Um, dude, I slept so much like those nights just like throw you off. Cause you'll yeah. be, you have energy when you first get there. So you're up till 1am and then next thing you know, you're, you know, a storm comes in. So you're bored and you sleep. So like good, comfortable sleeping stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I take good food just because, you know, with, with the boat, you have so much weight. Right. So like the things that you want out there is like good sleep and good food. Hmm. Okay. Don't, you know, there's no, I mean, unless you just want to be like lightweight and pack like dehydrated meals, but you got water, endless water right there. You could mm-hmm. cook a lot. You could have a nice stove you can clean your dishes. So I like the idea of like, Hey, if we're going to be out here for eight days, let's bring some really good food. So yeah. Casey prepped a ton of food and had it in like vacuum sealed bags and we just heat that stuff up. So good sleep stuff, very comfortable. Um, it's going to be wet. Like again, if your boots, if you have hiking boots, they're going to be destroyed. soaked. so if you have a backup and then something super comfy around camp, like slippers, you know, or Crocs or something like that. Yep. 
So there are places you can get away with wearing Crocs and not just be like standing in ankle deep water or something. Yeah. If you have a decent spot around camp, you can kind of just, you can get around with that, you know, for just sitting around camp and a nice glassing chair. Yes. Cause again, the tundra is very awkward. You never really have like a great spot to sit. It's a lot of texture, mm-hmm. a good glassing chair to sit, get your tripod tripod in your lap and get binos on a tripod. So mm-hmm. you want binos on a tripod cause you're just going to be sitting there doing this all day. And it's just so much more comfortable than holding them. Yeah. yeah so I, good glass. I, I love, I'm a big binos on tripod guy. Um, yeah. All right, cool. So you give me lots to think about there. Um, I like it. I want to shift over to elk because you're the elk man. And, uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, so I think I was telling you earlier, and people that are listening might get, like, bored of me talking about it. But I was like, yeah, I'm going to, you know, my goal is to kill my first elk this year. So I put in for the Montana General. I was like, I'll probably draw it. And then I was like, then I was, you know, I was applying for some other stuff in New Mexico. I was like, I got to throw in a, you know, something to the draw for New Mexico. Just what the heck, you know? Yeah. Boom. I draw this like awesome muzzleloader elk tag down there. And so my first ever elk hunt, I've been on elk hunts filming, but I've never been the one with the tag in my pocket. So my first elk hunt like ever is like this really hard to draw great tag. Um, so I'm super excited. It's, it's a little bit of a weird sense of like pressure at the same time, but I'm trying to like just ignore that. Um, mm-hmm. I told you over the phone what unit it was. I'm not going to say it on here, obviously, but have you ever hunted that unit? Yeah. So I haven't personally been a tag holder, but like you said, I've been on hunts down there. Uh huh. And the fun part about that hunt is just the, uh, the number of elk, like, mm-hmm. And what are your season dates? I'm not familiar with there. Yeah, so it's October um, 14th through 18th, and I'm going to get there. I'm flying out in the 10th. I'm going to spend 11th and 12th scouting, or 12th, 13th scouting. Yeah. And then 14th, it's on. And then to jump ahead a little bit, the timing worked out perfectly. So that season ends on the 18th, the Montana opening day for rifles, the 21st. So as soon as I'm done there, if I kill out early, that'd be amazing. Or hunt yeah. the whole five days and jump in the truck and go straight to Montana and, and hunt that for five days. That's cool, man. That that mid October, I've I've hunted it more with a rifle and other units. But down there, I'd assume. I mean, it's still going to be. There's still a good chance of them cranking. Yeah, I talked know, to a but, local guy who said they're going to be probably still bugling pretty good. Yeah, they should be, but it, it is almost in that time where it's like some bulls might be peeling off. You might be finding like secluded bulls and then you might be finding bulls that are still like, Oh, the ruts on them and bugle my face off and be crazy. And I've hunted that mid October in New Mexico and I've seen both. I've found bulls that are just all alone, deepest, darkest Canyon ever. Totally like post rut. Like I'm out, I'm checked out, <laughs> tired. And then I've seen them uh, bugling and, I have just seen it both that, that time right there, it, it could go either way. Yeah. But that unit, I would imagine that they're still going to be popping off pretty good just because there's so many of them. Yeah. So I guess kind of, it's kind of different terrain. I feel like that state is sort of unique. And the other thing about it is like, it's not, 
it's kind of like what you were saying earlier, uh, just from studying like e-scouting and talking to some locals, like there's no, you can't really like backpack in deep and like go deep and get away from people. Like it's, there's roads everywhere. Um, mm. so I don't know, I guess I'm a beginner obviously. Um, so I mean, just kind of what are you, what are some of your tips for how to hunt that area, how to hunt that state? Um, how would you go about it if you were me, um, going in with, I, so I, and just to give you a little context, I, um, I basically, I feel like as of like last week, pretty, pretty confident with my, um, cow call and I'm still working on the bugle, (laughs) but I'm getting there. I think by the time the hunt rolls around, I'll be, I'll be ready to go, but not an expert by any means, but like, you know, competent. Um, so anyway, how, how would you approach it? What are some of your general tips on that one? You know, what I've seen down there is like, there's, there's really pretty like high country Ponderosa pines. And I think a lot of people are attracted to that, but I found that a lot of the elk like to rut down in like prairie, Hmm. yellow grass and juniper type of stuff. Hmm. Um, I've always noticed that it seems like elk, like, you know, the bulls may summer high, but it's like, they want to rut in like almost easier going terrain or something. Cool. I'd say in there will never be elk up high, but personally I would focus on the more juniper, you know, prairie, yellow grass, juniper type of stuff. And there's a lot of rolling hills that you really, there's so much where we went, there's a lot of topography in some of these areas where you really got to get in them. Not, there's not always like a high point that gives you the look. It's almost like just enough topography to kind of like, well, if, if you don't see over that next ridge, you're never going to know. So we just would hit a hot spot, glass, you know, obviously first light, tons of glass. You're obviously listening um, and just take inventory on everything you can. But from there, it's like, okay, they're bugling over there. We just really had to like get in them to try to mm-hmm. see them. You know, we had a couple spots that were high points. Um, so I would be doing a lot of studying on Onyx and Google Earth. Yeah. for high points that aren't necessarily hard to get to either those first couple of days it's like learn the road system um find the highest points check them all tanks are big out there in that time of the year you yeah, can be cool. getting some monsoon type of stuff and so just some big rainstorms but if it's dry tanks are just they're there you know the bulls are thirsty they're you know, wallowing in that type of stuff. So we always had good luck around water tanks, mm-hmm. you know, the big, the big ones. Um, well, yeah, it's just kind of like that unit can produce some giants, but you're going to have a lot of elk probably in that 300 to 320 yeah. range. And then to, you know, get that 330, 340, you're going to get slim. And then above that, which they're there hundred percent, they're going to be harder to find. Yeah. So I would just be glassing a ton and kind of look, trying to look at the big picture those first couple of days and trying to learn the road systems. That way, if, if you're, you know, say on a glassing point and you see that one over there, it's like, you'll know whether you need to be on foot or navigate maybe a different road system. But yeah, the big thing at first, if you've never been there, I'd get high. I'd look at the big, big picture first yeah. and then start zero down, you know, totally. as the day go. Yeah, that's that's kind of something I've been learning a lot lately and hearing a lot of people talk about. And so that's that's kind of my plan is I went on Onyx and just like um, 
plotted out like the you know there's like main main roads that like really go like circumvent the whole unit so i'm thinking like the first sort of thing i do i get there is just literally just drive those big time roads and then just see if i can get picture of you know some good looking areas and then kind of hone in um definitely was going to check water um so it, when you get to those you know um well more well-known glassing areas well let me back up so I was actually wondering about what you said about the terrain, like, because there's a whole part of the unit that's very much like, uh, almost like breaks country looking from Topo, mm-hmm. um, and less vegetation. And my initial reaction was, oh, there's probably not elk in there. Let's look in the timber. But you're saying that there might actually be elk down in that stuff. Oh yeah, I look in the junipers. Uh, sometimes even just the biggest bulls are like down in almost the desert, you know, again, you know, you never know, but in my yeah. experience, I found like big bulls kind of terrain that's overlooked. Sometimes yeah. it's more deserty, but so don't I really discount that stuff. Elk, yeah. I feel like those elk like to rut, you know, and, and the easier going terrain versus like running they're running wild through high country you know rocks and steep and and all that which again they're there i'm just saying in new mexico i found they like to rut in that low stuff yeah it's so like you gotta hard. keep in mind you, you i think you need to really pay attention to what bulls are with the cows if you're like wow there's lots of bugles but they're all like little five points and six points that could be an indicator of the bigger mature bulls are starting to pull off, right? Because you'll find the bugles. I know they'll be bugling in mid-October where you're going. But if you start noticing, hey, like it seems like the ones with the cows doing all the noise and doing all the stuff, they're the bulls that kind of finally are like, ooh, cows, like I'm excited yeah. still bugle and be stupid. Meanwhile, the bigger bulls are like trying to get secluded, running off. So that that mid-October, that's kind of that time frame where you'll see a little bit of both. Yeah. And a big bull surely can be with the cows. There's no doubt. But don't rule out the fact that, hey, maybe some of these larger, older bulls are starting to pull off and just be secluded, be quiet, and they're really just trying to rest, you know? Yeah, so a couple things. So being that is my first elk hunt um i'm not picky to be honest like you know i want like a decent one like, i want a pretty nice one but like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna be passing up like a 300 or a 320 bull you know i'm just <laughs> like first elk you know so um so that's i think that's good and hopefully those ones will be a little dumber probably will be yeah you <laughs> could probably have a lot of fun with those 300 to 320s calling them in they're pretty vocal down there from what i've seen okay they're pretty and they'll come to calls nice um, i think if you spend that many days scouting you'll probably have an idea of kind of you know what to expect what to maybe hold out for a little bit yeah are they when you know if let's say i do find some down there in that kind of more open country um is it still fairly stalkable or is it pretty tough to stalk because this year uh new mexico just went to no optics so i'm going to be um, probably in that 150 range, maybe 200. I haven't tested out my setup yet that far, but, um, That's true. you know, I'm going to be open site. I'm about right now as it stands, I'm about four MOA at a hundred yards. 
um, with my CVA. So uh, I'm thinking 150 right now. Maybe by then I'll be able to stretch it out to two. But mm-hmm. <laughs> how's it like stalking down there? In the lower stuff, again, there's not – there's not – it's just, again, this all is relative, but sometimes there's not a lot of topography, right? So it's like you hope they're calling and you hope they're coming because that will really increase the chance of getting like a good visible look and a good clear shot. Um, it just depends on where you are. There should be, you know, enough topography to, if you can, if you can see one, you should be able to try to slip in and maybe get like across a draw or something like that or. I would, you know, that time of the year could be effective to sit water midday. Um, they're tired. They're they're still running around. And if you find like a good water hole with a ton of tracks, and if they're if you notice, hey, they're not calling as much midday, but you don't want to just go to camp. Yeah, I'd sit water. That would give you a good opportunity to shoot closer. Yeah, that's a good call. That's what I say to everyone, man. Like, hey, what's a what's a couple tips for elk? It's like increase your odds, man. Stay in the field. Yep. You know, some days I do all day sits on water, and it's like noon one you know it's like well had i been at camp twin my thumbs like i there's no chance but if i'm out here at least i'm increasing my odds so take advantage 100%. of every tool in the tool belt you know 100 percent, man yeah i mean it's and it's only a five day season so it's like oh dude five ma- days fly by like oh yeah you can get two days of fog next thing you know it's like we just lost two days i mean that happened to me last year wow in new mexico yeah um, that's, that's crazy, man. So as far as, you know, like we were saying earlier, it's, it's not a backcountry hunt. So, you know, the, I'm assuming that the glassing spots and the tanks are, you know, all fairly well known. Um, did you, in your experience, do you run into a lot of other hunters? Is it pretty crowded or is it not too bad? Mm, I've heard both, but one of the things in some of those areas down in New Mexico is, you're battling or competing with all the guides, right? Mm. And the guides, they have access to all these landowner tags and they're pretty dialed. They know the program, you know, I, I'm not saying all guides, but there could be, there could just could be some guys out there with radios who are eyes in the sky. And, yeah. you know, you, you think you're over here alone. And next thing you know, like you got just some guy spotting for his guy. And, and that's all great. I'm not saying there's anything against that, but when you get going into some of these more draw type of hunts, there's a, there is an increase of guides versus your general season hunts. Yeah. And with that, it's just, there's people out there that know the program. Like you said, they know every little spot they know where to sit. They know they're just educated on it and you're just coming in trying to figure it out. Yeah. But I'm not saying that's a bad thing at all. I'm just saying like, you will, you know, we, we, I would run into more guides on limited entry hunts than I ever do. Like just general public. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, I got, I got at least one, I got two local friends down there that are kind of, you know, a little bit helping me out, I think. Um, and, uh, you know, with a couple of days of scouting and the amount of elk, hopefully, you know, I'll be able to get something out of there. You will. Yeah, you will. You'll have a fun hunt. You'll walk away from that. Like, I mean, at least where we went, there's so many elk. It's like, yeah. just find, find the best one you can find, you know, find the best stockable one. But um, you should see plenty elk. You should see a handful of like really respectable six points. You should get yeah. into some bugle. 
Yeah. Should be a fun hunt. That's going to be a good one. Yeah, I'm fired up, man. I think I think it's any elk, too. I think the tag is any elk. I'm, I'll have to double so check you, that. But, I mean, if it's coming down day five, I'll shoot a cow. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude. Fill a freezer, huh? Yeah, dude. Um, okay, so after that, you know, uh, I'm jumping in the truck. You know, maybe, who knows, if stuff goes really well, I get one early and I can get up maybe get a day scouting, but in all likelihood, I'll be rolling into Montana, not much time to scout and kind of, um, you know, going from like a amazing draw tag to just straight up general elk. Um, I don't know. Kind of same question there, man. Like any, any just kind of pointers on that one. It's a totally different type of hunt. Yeah. I personally never hunted Montana. Okay. Sometimes I hear from those who have, I, I see some people have great success, like with the general season hunt. So I know there's an awesome opportunity to find like really nice bulls, right? Yeah. Um, this may be just the people I talk to and know, but it's like, they're battling like we all the elk are on the private, you know, giant herds are down in these private grounds. So again, I don't know where you're going or what your plan is, I don't either. but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I wouldn't even know where to start. I've never hunted uh, Montana myself. I've tried to get the that general tag, I think a couple times and never drew it. Really? Hmm. Yeah, but I drew I mean, it with zero points. It's a seventy-four percent draw with zero, and then you get to one, it's like ten percent, and then two, it's like ninety percent or something. Man, I must really suck at drawing that state. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, some of the country I see them, it's like really pretty, right? Like pretty pine trees with like yellow grass through it all and it's very scenic and it's very visible um but I've, I've just never hunted the state i don't know i'm sure their terrain can vary from high to low and i just i don't know what to expect yeah. out there that's okay um well hopefully yeah that one it'll be fun i think you know if nothing else to be like if if i don't get one in that first hunt at least i'll be like oh you know i got the second chance you know because it's yeah. only, only that five-day season. But it will be definitely interesting going from, you know, that. It would be two completely different experiences, man. Well, that's that's kind of what last year was so fun to me was this five for five, right? I had yes. five elk five Perfect states. segue. I wanted to ask you about it. <laughs> and I wanted to show the different type of tags, everything from like, hey, this is anyone's hunt over the counter, and this is general public land to more draw style tags, why they're different, how they're different, hunting them from low terrain to high terrain, hunting them from pre-rut to rut to post-rut to winter ground. That's what I loved about last year's theme of having those five elk tags was just the differences of hunting elk in different terrain throughout different times of the year. Yeah. So what was your favorite one? I got to ask. Um, you, and not just like favorite, like bull, but like favorite experience. Yeah. Let me just, I'll recap for the listeners who, yeah, yeah, yeah. who are uh, curious of what it was. So I had five elk tags um, and I'll just put them in chronological order. On number one was Colorado over the counter archery elk. So this is like anyone's hunt, right? Yep. I'd say Colorado is possibly the most popular state for that OTC elk hunt. Mm-hmm. So that, that was public ground. That was my first hunt. The second one I would roll to. Did you kill one on that one? Yeah, I killed one. It took okay. me, I was in the field like 19 days. Wow. Um, 
dude, I, that was like redemption because I had had Colorado OTC and I, I obviously, you know, trying to go five for five, it's like, Hey, this is number one. Yeah. You got to start off on a good one, foot. Five for five is over. So then it's four for five. So, uh, I hunted hard, man. I, we just were on the grind. I had a young kid come film me. He was super fun and, you know, positive and never complained about where we went. And we slept on the ground most every day, just, you know, sleeping back, backpack hunting. And we, we switched units. We went to three different, different units over this time frame, mm. And I killed on the second to last night of the wow. hunt and a really, really, really nice bull for that tag. Did you pass up other bulls or is that kind of your oh, best first? I never passed up. The only thing I passed up was a cow okay. right before I shot that bull. I had a cow at 23 yards and I'm thinking, I mean, <laughs> at that point you want to fill your tag so bad. Yeah. You've tried so hard. You put in so much effort. I'm thinking, well, I never really said, you know, five bulls for five bulls, <laughs> five for five. Elk, That's still you know? elk. Dude, it took everything I had to let her walk and put it down. And then we chased the herd and I shot the herd bull. So nice, it was a good thing man. I passed. Yeah. So, oh, it wasn't like, it wasn't like a ton of opportunity. I I mean, you'd see a bugle, you'd hear a bugle and then you just shut up. Last year was super hot, super dry. Everybody across the state was like, Hey, the elk just aren't, they're not vocal. So that was uh, all of September. It took me yeah. to the very end. Which side note in the Southwest this year, I've heard like amazing stuff about potential antler growth with the amount of moisture. Oh yeah. Another thing Good. I talked about. Tons of moisture. States like Arizona and New Mexico. Um, those elk, again, this it's not like a whole bucket of the state, but a lot of those elk are dependent on the moisture and the feed for their antler size. So their bulls can fluctuate a lot year to year based yeah. off the nutrition. Where a lot of the high country elk, I'd say in some of Utah's units, even if we get considered a drought, like, well, they're still high country and they're still great feed, but sure, it does roll into our elk, no doubt. But I think New Mexico and Arizona are kind of those two states where it's like, it's either going to, those those rainstorms and those late snowfalls are kind of make and break for sure. of the potential antler growth for those bulls. Anyway, side uh, note. So it's hunt number two. Hunt number two, New Mexico. It's a draw tag. It's a draw unit. I'd say it's a little more des less desirable than like the units you have. It's still a draw tag, um, which I did not draw through the public draw. I was able to get a landowner tag. Okay. Archery? Um, it was rifle hunt. Okay. Mid-October. So this was a cool hunt because opening day, we found two bulls that were together, secluded, and they were post-rut. I mean, they were, they were off the cows. They had no interest. I mean, all they did was feed and lay down. They weren't listening to bugles or nothing. So that was the first time I, I didn't tag out. I kind of, I kind of went in with the attitude of like, Hey, any six point is fair game, like a nice five or a six. Mm -hmm. Well, on opening morning, I saw a really, really nice bull. So I dedicated the whole hunt to just only shoot him uh, yeah. and I passed on opportunities on other bulls which I lost a couple of days to fog and cold weather and snowstorms and I walked out of there without filling the tag. But I was like, I couldn't not hunt that bull. Yeah. Um, so for that unit, he was just a super nice bull. So that was mid October. And then the first week in November, I went up to Idaho general season as can be 
the most popular unit probably in the state. Um, killed a bull, I think, on day two. But I w- here's what's cool about that hunt. It was a back-to-back. It's a film on our YouTube channel. The last few days of October, I was hunting deer. And then I figured the first yes. week, remember, I would hunt elk. Yeah, I watched that one. That was cool. The first thing I do is hike up to this canyon. I'm hunting deer. It's open season for deer. And boom, two nice bulls and a bunch of cows. Yeah. And so it's like, well... If we can leave those, you know, without being pushed, I could come sneak back in here and shoot on opening day. So we backed out. I ended up shooting a, um, a small buck and I filled my mule deer tag. And then we used that next day to backpack into this area, mm-hmm. woke up, the elk were just kind of scattered and hunters were all over. And we saw two spikes get killed mm-hmm. right underneath us. Meanwhile, while trying to figure out where the bigger bull went, never could find the bigger one. But our number two bull, which again was just a small six point, um, we shot him the next day. So we were back, backed up, and woke up to like eight inches of snow. And I'm telling you, because I'd never killed an elk in the snow. Oh, cool. It was just the most beautiful high country, you know, mountain scene, all yeah. fresh. Oh, storm blew out you know clearish skies and then we see this bull just doing his program and got away from all the hunters on opening day they all left day two day two you know being somewhere that i think if anybody else was up there it's like most people would be like this is blown out you know hmm. two spikes are killed they've been gutting on them and now now all the elk are pushed out well sure enough day two this bulls did the same thing oh wow we couldn't get him day one because some other hunters were closer they shot a spike right underneath him and I don't think they saw him. So we killed him day two. That was a uh, first week of November. Uh, so that's, so that's, that's interesting time. though, that you say that just, I'm just kind of highlighting that even for my own benefit. But a lot of, like you said, just to reiterate, a lot of guys that have been like, okay, they shot two elk in here. It's blown out, but you stuck with it. Now, is that because you had experience before knowing that like, Hey, you know, opening day or the day after they might still be there or, I mean, what, what led you to believe that they might still be there and not, it was blown out. I would, I would take that back to the fireball video where even when I shot the bull in the shoulder, I was so convinced that these animals are so habitual especially that bull because he was an old mature bull that was always alone. He was never with any other elk. hit him in the shoulder blade. And I was like, I'm just going to keep hunting him right here. And I killed that same bull 12 days later. So that's, that was kind of proof of like, dude, these animals are habitual. You know, yeah. they're not just like, sure. You can spook them. Don't get me wrong. You, you hit them with the right angle and they see you and they hear you and everything. Dude, they're gone. They might be two canyons away, but in this instance, there were just so many elk up in there that even with, even with them shooting the spikes, I was like, trust me, I was only going to give it one day. I was like, dude, yeah. we'll give it tomorrow. But if, yeah, if, if we're not seeing them, like we got to bounce, we got to get to plan B. Okay. So I think that Anyways, had a lot of that. That's it, interesting. Yeah. Just they're habitual, you know, and, and not always, but sometimes you bump an elk Dude, it, it runs over the first ridge or it gets into that first patch of timber, mm-hmm. calms down, and he's not pushed or anything after that. He's just back to normal life, right? Because these things are experiencing bears and cougars and coyotes right. and all the time. 
they yeah. can't just run from everything all the time. Right. right exactly. At some point, they gotta just they're living their routine, they're living their pattern, and we had seen him multiple times up there already. So it's like, you know, yeah. he's probably gonna come back. So we got kind of lucky; he did come back. <laughs> yeah. Not all the time is that gonna happen. But that's kind of what I reflect too. Is like they're just habitual. Yeah. So that was a. Uh, that was Idaho general season, public land mid no first week of November. My next hunt was going to be like November 16th to the 25th, something like that. I can't remember the exact dates, but that was a limited entry unit here in Utah that I drew at the hunting expo for the $5 tags. (laughs) So hit, hit a, the lottery with that one. I mean, I drew a limited entry tag in 2013. That's when I killed the fireball. And typically these units are 10 to 25 years before you draw. And I probably only have five points since I drew, you know, the fireball year. Yeah. So to draw it at the expo, you're just like, that was weird, man. It's like, you, you don't keep feel your like points you... when you draw at the expo, don't you? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I went into that hunt. I had a good friend, Nate, who was just kind of doing some scouting, showing me some of the previous years that they've killed bulls and where, and it's kind of sucked because in my head, I don't know what it was. Let's just give an example. I thought it started on the 20th. So I had all these days to scout and literally like the week of, I found out and looked on my tag that it started the 16th. <laughs> so it was a situation like that where I lost four days, which I'm just scatterbrained all season. Like I'm yeah. just going one hunt at a time. I didn't even notice it started so early. So I raced down there and had like two days to scout and found some good bulls. That's the one your girlfriend um, went was, with with you, right? Yeah, yeah, I watched. That yeah, was a, that was my a sweet bull. Yeah, that was a fun one. We called him Kickstand. He just had that extra coming yeah. off the main beam. So that was fun to show the people, right? Like we just came from OTC uh, Idaho and saw like killed a six point raghorn ish type of bull. The best one we saw was maybe like two eighty. And we only saw two of them where in this hunt, I saw two bulls, every canyon I went in and they were big, <laughs> mature to where you start get, you start like thinking in your head, like, well, I'll find a 400, you know, Yeah. <laughs> um, ended up killing kickstand. He's pushing 360, beautiful nice. bull. That was brutal cold hunting them poster, definitely off the cows in the, the cliffs. You saw the video, like they're living in the cliffs, they're living in the steep stuff. And uh, just saw so many quality bulls. Never saw like a true giant, but saw plenty that were just 340, 350, 360. Wow. So, I mean, you walk away from that hunt, you're like, I want to redo. You know, I want to go again. I want to hunt this every year. Yeah. You could just see the difference of a unit that's managed for age class versus a unit that's not. Yeah. I'm worried I'm going to be spoiled after this after this first hunt, man. 34 <laughs> could spoil you because it's, it's so fun. Cause there's so much action, you yeah. know? Yeah, for sure. And every um, day, every day is just going to be like calling in new bulls and yeah. seeing new bulls. Yeah. And um, I feel like I've been on yeah. a lot of, a lot of hunts hunting for other stuff where I see elk. So it's going to be, I don't know. It's going to be fun actually getting to hopefully kill one some this time. <laughs> you will. You'll kill one on that one. Nice. Um, but last hunt, it was kind of kept keeping it on the DL. We did hunt the, the Indian reservation in Arizona through a draw to get a tag. 
in a unit that's not considered their trophy unit. So it's not like what you see coming off the reservation where it's like tons of 400 inches, like everybody gets 400 incher. We're in a unit that they're just kind of like, you could tell it's like, well, there's elk out there, but there's not many. If you want to go hunt it, good luck, you know? So I had a tag there and, you know, at that point I had already killed three out of the four and I went into this hunt hoping to find like a mega giant past two really respectable bulls, one of six by eight. That was really cool. So in line seven on the right, and then at his second point had like an eight to nine inch drop nine. Oh, wow. You just looking back, I'm like, part of me wanted to shoot him just for the character. Yeah. He was a little young. So I was kind of like, let's let him grow up because he had potential to be big. And I passed a, 320, 330, really mature loner bull living in the cliffs all by himself, heavy, heavy beams. Mm. And the most amazing scene, I like the dream of like, dude, it'd be so cool to see an elk like bedded under a cliff, right? I had it all. There he was bedded, just chewing his cud. And I didn't want to shoot him. Hmm. And, you know, now that I've had time to like reflect on that, it's like, I would have been happy. He was a great bull. Yeah. But part of me thinks, you know, from the beginning of five for five, it was like, my goal is like, I want to shoot five elk. Like, I'll be honest, like there's no way around it. I want to fill each tag. Like every tag I get, I get then it, because I want to fill it. Sure. I know a lot of people gave me pushback. I'm like, dude, that's just too many for one man to eat. But I went into it this mindset of like, I want to fulfill each hunt and get the full experience. Because to me, the harvest, the butchering, the recovery, the packing out the meat, getting it home, all of it's part of the experience. And I really enjoy it all the way from beginning to the end of that. So I wanted to have the full experience five times in five states and five situations, et cetera. Yeah. But by that last one, I was kind of just like fulfilled. Like I didn't need to kill these elk. Like I could have, I'm not like, these are situations like with a gun, it was game over. I'm not going to say I would have, wouldn't have missed, but these are situations where I truly feel like I just passed the opportunities because I was like fulfilled and kind of holding out for like, maybe there's a mega giant in here and we can just hold out and kind of have fun along the way. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I just, I don't know. Part of me was like, I just didn't need to, to shoot another one. Yeah. No, that's respectable. I mean, yeah, you just, you hit that, that point where you're just like, I don't need it. And there's no reason to like force it. You know what I mean? So I think that's, that's cool. You know? Yeah. I really felt progression as a hunter, you know, it's, it's a really weird thing where when you see an elk and it's just bedded, you're just talking to your buddies. What do you think? You know, you really start to like play these mind games. What do you, do you like it? Like, do you think he's big? And you're starting to like be influenced one way or another, depending if you're asking your friends or not. I'm not saying yeah. they influence my ultimate decision, but it when you just see him and it's like, you have this opportunity and they're just laying there. It's almost different than maybe if a bull came in a small window and you had 10 seconds to decide. Right. Absolutely. And looking back, I'm like, dude, I just had all day to stare at these elk and enjoy them and really just, what do you guys think? I don't know, man. We'd have to pack it out of there. Like, you guys in the mood for that? No, I'm not either. 
but man, it's a great opportunity. This is like the dream scenario, but you put that bowl, you have me walking through the, the junipers and he's bugling and he opens a, a, a 10 foot window and I see that big six point frame. I'm probably shooting. Yeah. Or if that hunt was the first of five mm-hmm. and I saw that bowl, I probably would have shot. So just the emotions of this whole season just kind of like evolved through each hunt and each opportunity. And I had a vision of like what would happen and what size of bull on each of these hunts I should expect. Mm-hmm. And then in New Mexico, when I think I'll shoot the first six point, I see like a giant, like that throws me off. You know what yeah. I mean? But that's yeah. what's fun about hunting, man. You can have a vision and you can like think, you know, how it's going to like play out. And sometimes it will do it that way. And sometimes it just takes you in a whole nother direction. And I think that's, what's just so fun about hunting. You yeah. just never know what's going to happen out there. Yeah, for sure, man. And that's interesting what you're talking about, about just the different scenarios. Like, cause that's something I've been thinking about a lot lately. I'm always like kind of dissecting like the differences between like how I grew up hunting versus like this new type of hunting that I'm doing out West. Cause like, you know, here, Nine times out of ten, at least in my experience, you're sitting in a tree stand with a bow or whatever. You see a buck walk through. You got ten seconds to decide, am I shooting this thing? And at that point, it's very much a gut reaction. You're just like, yeah. is this a deer I like? Or like, it's just, it's not even like, you don't even have time to think about it. It's just like something in you just goes, yep, kill that thing. And so yeah. you do it. Whereas when you're, you know, half a mile, a mile, a mile and a half away, and you're analyzing like, it's just so different because, like, you know, a lot of my camera guys that I hunt with are much more experienced Western hunters than I am. And it's just – it's interesting watching them and, like, and then hunting with, you know, like, guys like Brian and stuff. And they're just dissecting, like, every part of its rack and, like, looking at footage and, like, you know, just, like, analyzing – where too much to me still is much more just like you see an animal is like, okay, yeah, I like that. Let's go for it. You know, it's just yeah. a totally different kind of experience. It really is. And it's so situational. And that's the difference between like spot and stock where you, you, you know, you're looking from afar and I'm like, eh, no, don't like that one <laughs> or yes or no. And then it's like a game plan in, but that's why I like, I do enjoy a uh, tree stand or even tree saddle hunting because it is like when I, I killed an elk out of a tree saddle. I saw that. that was and cool. that's one of those hunts that I visioned. I said, I'm going to kill hunt out of a tree saddle. And I shot like a 296 by, and it was just on a general season public land hunt, which again, that's pretty killer, mm-hmm. but it could have been a 400 incher or it could have been a 290, but the rush of it, like being right there. So yeah. the first time I see it, it's within bow range the heart pounding of like, is it going to take a left or a right? Is it going to come to me or away from me? And then when it does, it's, yeah. I mean, that, that, that tree stand stuff, when it comes in close, that's you do, you have to, you have to make a decision right now. Yeah. I gotta say, man, I love Western hunting. I love the whole experience, the travel, the camping, the just being out there. I do feel like it's, it's a completely different experience in a lot, in a lot of ways, uh, maybe a more full experience, but I got to say when you, when you are in a tree stand bored out of your mind and then a, a shooter walks in to like 30 yards like that. I mean, the adrenaline dump is like nothing I've ever experienced. I've tried to explain that to some people out here. Cause I'll get a little pushback, like get out of the tree stand there, go chase them on the ground. And I'm like, I've done that my whole life. Like I, I want yeah. something new and different. And I'll tell people like, 
trust me, when you're sitting there bored out of your mind, you're questioning yourself. Am I wasting my time? Should I go yeah. back to camp? Is, if you, is there even anything in here? And then suddenly you look over your shoulder and you see a shooter. Yeah. But now even like a two and a half year old buck, like that close, yeah, looking sure. you straight in the eye, you're like, do, 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 do. You're saying, yeah, like you said, see an animal, especially if it's a shooter. Now you got to like grab your bow off the bow rack, right? And there's still so many moving parts of like getting the shot and yeah. making it happen. It's not like it's just a layup every time. No. So, no, yeah, no. those moments where it's such a game of like every, like, is he looking up? Okay, look, he looked down. What's the wind doing? All right, I, can I grab my bow now? Yep. Okay, hurry and shift. Why is he behind a tree? All right, can I draw? You yeah. know what I mean? It's, totally. it's it's just completely different experience. And and I would encourage anybody who's done one way or the other, try the opposite. You know, yeah. if you've done tree stand, try spot and stock. If you've done spot and stock a lot, try tree stand. Man, you'd learn so much, and it, it'll make you a better hunter if you do sure. a little bit of everything. You learn a lot. Absolutely, man. Um well, cool, dude. This has been a great conversation. I kind of think I hit everything I wanted to want to talk to you about. Um, but just real quick, what do you got lined up for this year? So, five for five kind of came out of nowhere last year, and it it only became a thing because I drew the expo tag, I drew out on the reservation, and suddenly I had four. And I was talking to my buddy Joel uh, Whitetail Fit. And he mentioned to me like, oh yeah, Cam Haynes and Joe Rogan were just talking about how like filling four tags and elk tags in a season, is that's pretty tough. And I was like, well, they were probably talking about bow hunting. He's like, no, they even mentioned like it's hard even with a gun. I was like, well, if I want it, I can get five. And so it just became an idea, small talk. Then it created like a really fun storyline. And again, going back to like, I want to show you guys each season, each strategy, each terrain, each method. So this year, I mean, I never thought I'd get five tags again. That's that's bizarre. Yeah. But I drew the reservation. I drew oh, New Mexico. Right. I was lucky enough to get out of state tag for Idaho again. Utah has a general season tag, and so does Colorado. So this year, <laughs> I've, I've decided literally within the last week to do five for five again. Yes. What's going to be fun about it, I think, is – it's the same five states, but there's a little scrabble of seasons. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, Utah was this premium limited entry rifle tag. Mm. Now it's over-the-counter archery, you know, so there's going to be yeah. like, okay, here's the difference. Colorado is going from archery over-the-counter to third-season rifle elk. Nice. So that'll be cool to show those seasons. Idaho went from rifle elk November to archery September. Cool. Mexico, I drew a tag there for rifle, so that one stays similar, and then the reservation is the same hunt, which I did not fill a tag. So I think there's just some dynamics there to be like, all right, same five states. So you drew different that states. Arizona tag two years in a row. Is that pretty rare? Yeah, that's pretty rare. It's it's one of those things where you're just trying to yeah. be a little high lift on it, right? Because yeah. once it gets I, out I'll, there. I'll leave it there. <laughs> The, the thing with it is, is that it's expensive and lucky for me, okay. you know, hush is in a good spot and we're investing some money into tags and stuff. So even though you draw, you still pay yeah. and it's expensive. Gotcha. Gotcha. In uh, my book. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, cool, man. Um, yeah, I definitely want to do a, um, uh, 
a number three when uh, your five for five ends. And hey, you know, good Lord willing, maybe I'll go two for two. You know, it's, it could happen. I know. Two, <laughs> that's a storyline. Like yeah. two tags, two states, uh, different times of the year, maybe different terrain, different yep. weapons. Elk tour. Uh, you know, yeah, let's see what it's like in a somewhat limited entry type of unit versus like your general season. Yeah. Um, we'll follow up. Let's do after the season ends, yeah, let's follow it, up. I'd love to hear how yours went and what you experienced. And then obviously Alaska too, but, uh, yeah. I'll have five more stories of, you know, fun elk hunts to share. Yeah, dude. Well, as always, it's been really fun talking to you and I'm sure everybody already knows, but in case they don't, where can they find you if they want to see some of your content we've been talking about? Yeah, all the, the best like hunting films that I put out are on the Hushin channel. So on YouTube, you search Hushin. It's a big elk antlers, our logo. Um, we're on Instagram. We're on that new threads. I guess that's a thing, a new, <laughs> new another social media platform to be on. But yeah, Hushin or Get Hushin, you can pretty much search on any platform and find us. And then Eric Chesser on for my personal stuff. Sweet, man. Well, cool. Thanks again for taking the time to, to yeah. chat and looking forward to, I'm sure I'll probably run into you again at the expo and then we'll get something on the books for next summer and compare notes. Yeah. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. All right, buddy. Talk to you soon. See ya.